So in this example, if we could take one of the defenses and kind of really play it out, let's say forget. Forgetting is an interesting defense, right? Because we all do it. I mean, my memory is not, not, not what it used to be. So we all forget, right? And so we can just stop there to say, oh, I'm so sorry, I forgot. So that's a way of us engaging in a defense without self-awareness. And I don't mean every single time you forget, you need to, to do this. But if you tend to be forgetting important things or forgetting what your partner talked about, or there's a lot of forgetting happening, if you don't slow down and think about the use of that forgetting, because instead we use it as an end goal. Sorry, I forgot. Rather than being curious, why is it that I can't seem to remember the really important things that somebody asked of me at the grocery store? There's a good chance that you're allowing distraction and distractibility to be part of the whole process. Like you're not actually present. And part of the defense where we get back to the avoidance, to be present might be more threatening than you think. So we say distracted and we forget because to be present and really take you in is super overwhelming. So instead, I stay distracted and then I live in the excuse that I forgot. And then nobody can get mad at me if I forgot. If I forget your birthday or forget to do something, nobody can be mad at me. But you have to like really approach your own defense system of distraction and not actually being present to begin with. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. Building on decades of professional experience, this podcast tackles neurobiology, modern attachment, and more in an honest way that's helpful in healing humans. Your session begins now with Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. So we're going to jump into the last part of our series, Disarming Human Defenses. We kicked off this series by asking listeners out there, for those of you that heard it, and that was to get some feedback, to think about what it is that you can recognize in yourself as some of your go-to defenses. Sometimes we know, right? We just really know what our defenses are. Sometimes it's not so obvious. So we also encourage listeners out there to ask questions, talk to the people in your lives, think about what are some things that they see that are possibly your patterns of defending and protecting yourself. So we're wondering if you were able to ask that question and what'd you find out? For those of you that are just tuning in, don't sweat it. We're just mentioning that because we had started initially by requesting for folks to begin to do the journey of becoming conscious of some of these mostly unconscious processes. And this is why we need help disarming defenses because they're not always obvious. But whether you ask someone about it or not, the truth is, just like what Anne was saying, if you really get quiet and you really get honest, we kind of (laughs) know, I'm sure people could add to it, but we kind of know when we're defended, when we're shut down, when we're making a move that is not a relational move, when we power over, we often do have a sense of it. So it's like, okay, well, let's invite just honesty about even for you to take this moment of like, there is something in there that you already know that you need to do that you could get better at relational security if you did fill in the blank. So that already, if that works, if that little exercise works, and we invite you to be, to hold on to that and to take it seriously and, you know, no beating yourself up, nothing like that. But like, we're working to make the unconscious conscious. So become more aware of it study it, learn about it, hold it lightly. But yeah, we want to actually move these things. We want to actually promote, you know, more secure relating more of the time. I like that you're focusing on the secure relating because that's the goal. And for those of you that haven't been listening to the series, we want to clarify that when we're saying defenses, that doesn't mean you're being defensive. Doesn't mean it's not the classic idea of quit being defensive. And when you said, Sue, that about secure relating, We're wanting to help you recognize when you're in the part of your nervous system that is open to connection and feeling secure in oneself, which is not the same thing, by the way, as feeling confident, let's be super clear, but feeling secure in oneself to be able to relate to yourself and someone else. So you exist and they exist. But when we get activated by something that threatens us, things that threaten us are different. They're not the same based on our history. And when we get activated, It's to be able to tell the telltale signs that there's activation in your body and that then you're moving to a place to protect yourself or to defend yourself. A lot of times we know, but truth is sometimes we really, really don't. So that's one reason why we were really promoting 
what are some things that are more difficult about relating to me? Right. And when you ask, prepare to say thank you, not, I don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we know. All listeners did that. They were like, I'm so glad to hear this feedback. Like, oh, I wasn't aware of that about myself. Thank you for sharing it. (laughs) (laughs) And to recognize that the biggest thing that we've talked about in this series, and as we go through, we're going to continue to integrate that. And that is being able to just recognize and ask yourself, am I in my secure relating place or am I in my more primitive defensive place? Just that question is one of the most powerful questions that you can ask, I think. Totally. Love it. And in today's episode, we are going to continue to chip away at some of these things. This will be the wrap-up episode. We've got many more things that we want to do. So in today's episode, it's going to be a little more rapid fire. We're going to move through a whole bunch of them. The reason is it's not just to give you a list in order to be conscious of these things, we have to learn about that. We have to begin to create a scaffolding, like a structure to be able to even identify it. So let's jump in, shall we? One caveat before we jump in, my tendency, as we rapid fire it, one of the things to think about in this is that this isn't a list of criticisms, although it may sound like it. This isn't just a list of bad personality quirks, which is really easy. If you think about that these are the things either you do or people that you love do, because they're feeling activated and threat, it is a place that our goal is to actually develop deeper compassion around it, less pointing at it, and more engagement. So if we're talking about things like somebody, you know, struggles with passive aggressiveness, that's not the most positive quality to hear. But if you stop to think about it, and that's how we're going to approach these, is thinking about it more as a self-protection, not just an irritating behavior that has a reason, has a source, It is a protection for a reason, and we want to take the threat down in your body so that you don't need that as much. You don't have to activate that. So by recognizing, oh my God, I do do that. I'm doing that thing that Anasu talked about. It must be that I'm feeling a little bit of threat rather than I'm a jerk. And I think it's really important that we don't feel like we're just making a list of critical things and say, stop doing that. Stop doing that. And that, that doesn't mean that we're not sometimes a jerk, <laughs> just a jerk, you know? <laughs> well, true, true enough, true enough. But we're usually a jerk, a jerk with a rhythm. for a reason. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, that's a great point. A rhythm and also a reason. So a reminder, you know, self-compassion, the idea is to heal these things, not to just call you out on them for sure. You know, we talked about organizing this in different ways. You know, there's a bunch of therapists that listen. And so we could really get into talking about transference and projection and stuff like that. And then also there's a whole bunch of other people that are listening that might not want to get into some of that more clinical conversation. So we're going to try to hit the middle. And that's kind of how the podcast rolls. We'll see how it goes. But the first kind of organization or framework, as we go through the detail, we'll kind of touch on this. But there's a hierarchy of defenses. From more primitive, unconscious, automated defenses that we really are not aware of to more mature, somewhat more conscious thinking defenses that we have a little bit more control over. And obviously our goal is to try to move our defensiveness up the nervous system where it goes from a little bit more of the primitive defenses to more of the sophisticated defenses, that that would be a win. (laughs) I like that. Let's get sophisticated in our defenses. (laughs) Right. And it only comes with consciousness. So just very roughly, like the very, very primitive ones are the ones that just literally shut out information. So you're not actually struggling with the information. So things like, you know, avoidance, denial, the big ones. Repression. Repression means that we're not even conscious of it. It's not that we're thinking about it and we push it down, which is suppression, which is kind of conscious repression. <laughs> but that's a higher level. Suppression is a higher level defense than repression. And you you see repression in things like child sexual abuse, where you're not able to take in the information. You cannot know what is actually happening. That is repression. So that aspect of that is it's just too threatening. So you're unconscious self protects that information by blocking it from your memory or your awareness at that time. But it doesn't mean it's not stored there. It is there. But your body has worked to repress it to such that you don't have conscious awareness. Mm -hmm. Right. Where suppression, I think of suppression is where you feel it and you're sort of consciously knocking it down like, oh my God, I I think I use suppression a lot in graduate school. I had a paper due and I would be there and I'm just going to suppress that anxiety 
and distract myself because I really didn't want to feel the shoulds or the woulds. And that's just maybe, that's just a really everyday aspect of suppression, but we do it at a much deeper level as well. Right. Well, and it's a good point that all of these things, we all do all those things. So caveat, 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 caveat. (laughs) But you'll be able to just sort of feel the difference though, like denial, flat denial, like it means it doesn't even get in. So when For example, God, I only can think of a few experiences because when we're really in denial, we don't know it. It's like we're sleeping and it's only when you wake up. That's the most painful part. Yeah. It's only when you wake up and look back that you're like, oh my gosh, I couldn't see that. So just going back to the sexual abuse example, sometimes like let's say the non-offending parent can, I mean, it's a little bit of repression too of like just not know what's happening because it's too threatening. Like that would be another version of it. Or someone who's in full-blown substance dependence and they think what you don't know doesn't hurt you or like as far as other people knowing you're drinking or what have you, that it's not just that they're really aware of the level of their disease and they're lying to you. There really is a structure, like there really is a way that it is just blocked out. And that, that's that very primitive being able to look at something and not see it. That's such a good example of the chemical domain because it allows one to know that if you're in denial and you know that it's an unconscious thing, It really means that when somebody doesn't believe that they have an issue, that there's a sense of knowing and there's a sense of complete denial. And the denial is to protect the knowing, to protect what would I have to give up in that example? What would I have to lose if I really let it in? You're not even asking that question though. Right. If I really brought into my awareness, there's so much threat to that, that I would have to lose with my addiction or my relationships. That is overwhelming. So I'm going to do a complete denial. And I really don't believe I have a problem, but there's an awareness under it, right? But I won't let myself feel it. It's not a conscious awareness. Later down the road, if somebody is able to break through that denial, they can go back into further memory. They can piece together Right. So another uh, sort of lighter example, it's not lighter all the time, but if someone's, let's say they're gay and they're flaming, beautiful, colorful, swishy gay, but they're in an environment that that is very unsafe. And it's like one of those things where that everybody in the world can know, oh, honey, you know, like let's throw them a coming out party. And, but because of the, whatever the reasons are, and again, some of these are cultural, some of these are biologic as far as levels of sensitivity and things like that. Some of this is related to religion, all of the stew that makes us up as individual human toddlers that we are come to play around what we're able to tolerate seeing in ourselves and take in and struggle with. And when we just can't even see it, we can't even begin to reckon with it. So that just gives you a flavor for like the part that is like when it's really just, if it's at the electrical switch off on, you know, not the dimmer switch in the, in the house of the light, it's just like flipping it off and on. Those are those more primitive defenses that are obviously harder to get to, but you know, just much more kind of serious in nature. Uh, One last one that I'll mention is splitting. So splitting, and we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about projection and things like that, because that's, it's a very interesting concept. But so splitting is when, you know, you'll see it sometimes like, okay, so for you therapists out there, for a while, you're the idealized therapist and everything you say is so brilliant and I can't believe, right? And you're, you're up and then you say something wrong and you grow devil horns <laughs> and the other person is like, I'm done with you. I can't, you know, so that, that's an example of like, you're all good or you're all bad. And that can also happen internally where that like I'm good and then I do something and then I'm all bad. So anything that is like black hat, white hat, that's kind of on, on the more primitive level. It's, I don't want to keep using that word because it has a little bit of judgment in it and I'm not meaning it as judgmental. I mean it more neurobiologically. Right, right. It's so unconscious is what you're meaning. It's so deeply unconscious. That's what makes it primitive because it's something that we do without any awareness and that our body needs to do it. It feels like it needs to do it because something is too threatening to be able to incorporate. So what you're saying is we move to a black and white, I'm either good or I'm bad, because to be able to incorporate the badness and still feel good feels almost like an impossibility. So we flip from one to the other, right? Another way of languaging it is we split off parts of ourselves that we can't tolerate and that we can't see. So that's a splitting 
And just for the therapists out there, you know, many of you will be aware that there's that there's two kinds of splitting, right? There's, if you think of it as like horizontal splitting and vertical splitting. And I always forget which one is horizontal and which one is ver- vertical. Wait, I remember because horizontal is like a horizon. <laughs> right. So let's start with vertical splitting is more of like compartmentalization where like there's a part of you that kind of knows this thing, but you're going to block it out and split it off. Like it's accessible, but it's blocked. Horizontal splitting is when that is when a much more serious like dissociation even if you're trying to look at it you can't see it like it's really cut off that would be like repression repression would be an example of that like something has been repressed i guess i mean it's not an example of splitting but i guess it kind of is so the horizontal splitting is where you can't even let yourself know so that's just a fun little detail there I want to move through this so that we can get to more of the two big buckets. And then, you know, the higher level stuff is like intellectualization, rationalization, stuff where we're using our minds, like what you said earlier about your college example of suppression, kind of healthier compartmentalization, using humor. Healthy denial. We, we also healthy have healthy denial. denial right? That's There's, exactly true. We need to have some level of healthy denial, even kind of healthy. So some of these things that we're taught, we do all of them. It's like, do we do them to such an extreme that it's impairing our ability to be relational with ourselves or other people. And, you know, you've heard about some of these other, you know, like compensation, which I always think of the guy in the cigar boat. <laughs> yeah. Say more about right, that. Like, well, you know, that like somebody who is afraid of something then overcome, you know, like makes it look like that they are very powerful or what have you. Do you, you know what I mean by cigar boat, right? Yes. You know what I mean? I, Okay. The Same, big, well, super fast, yes. massive, powerful oh, that cigar boat. Oh, we said that earlier. I was literally thinking of cigars in a boat. You're talking no, about the huge cigar boats on the lake. Those like overly fast, you know. Right. And some loud. people don't get me wrong, see people love those and it has a little image for them that ah. it isn't like everyone that's owning a cigar boat is not a, and it's gonna take care example. of us all the way through as we talk about this. All those but of what you say cigar is, boat, then, we love you. Yeah, but the neat, what you're saying is is that if we cannot handle possibly that part of us that may feel insecure, we overcompensate. It's kind of the Napoleon concept, right? We need to overcompensate in a way. I don't even know if it's called a cigar boat, to tell you the truth. I just, it I had forgotten what as you meant when you were boat. saying cigar yeah. boat. It's like, wait, I was literally, I was being so concrete. I was being so literal. I was like thinking of a cigar. <laughs> so I'm sure there are very powerful human beings that drive cigar boats and that it's not compensation at all. But I will say it's a frequent popular thing to kind of wink, wink, nod, nod when you see the cigar boat, when you see the big, fast, over, you know, macho boat of like, hmm, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know um, exactly so, what you mean. Okay. So anything else so, about that? No, I about think the, I like about those gen- just, about the general hierarchy. These are sort of sort of some general hierarchy, and again, emphasizing coming from a really unconscious, very self-protective place. Again, we're talking about defenses and protections, and what your nervous system and what your memories can handle, all the way up into the conscious things of what we know we use. My like my example of suppression, a lot of variability along the way, and then we could also talk about it as the types of things that make us feel threatened and how we utilize these things in response to that. So there's those of us that feel threat in our history because in order to feel safe in our environment, we have to sort of shut people or emotions or information out. So it's like this self-protective shut out kind of idea. And that is stemmed by a feeling of threat if something gets too close. We don't always recognize that. And again, when we talk about secure relating, remember it doesn't mean that you feel insecure. And in fact, for those of us out there that have learned to kind of shut things out, we often don't let ourselves even feel like the need for the cigar boat, if you will. Like you, you, we don't feel the need of, oh my God, right? Or maybe later in life we start to recognize it. And then we can divide that out with dynamics where people on the other end to keep safe ended up having to basically internalize, right? How do we want to describe the other end of that kind of spectrum? Well, I do want to say something about that, but also that like, this is going to sound like it tracks with our spectrum of blue and red, of avoidant attachment and preoccupied attachment. And certainly it might. There's a relationship. Yeah. Right. And so remember audience that we are really working to get away from categorization. So you're not blue and you're not red, right? We go into blue states and red states and things like that. 
But roughly, we could imagine the two things that Anne's talking about, one being kind of the feeling of being overwhelmed by the other and needing to block them out for safety. And then the other being one way of talking about it is like an, there's an insuff- there is another there and there is some access, but it's an insufficient other. Then that ends up being internalized is we can't, of course, our little baby brains can't think, oh, I'm this whole worthy person, but my mother is depressed and distracted. Instead, we internalize it into our body of our worth and our value. So we're getting, you know, care at half mass because that's exactly that matches exactly who we are and what we deserve. So we internalize this deficient other, right? Like the deficiency becomes us. So then you'll see a cluster of defenses and symptoms around that more internalized deficient self. And then you'll see a cluster around the, no, I'm fine, but I've got to manage people. And, you know, this tracks with the adult attachment literature on avoidance. What's the other one? Approachability. Let me not get distracted. <laughs> okay. But the shaver and his on the two continuums from the social science research and attachment, this tracks that certainly well too. So how about we first start with the general bucket, again, not labeling anybody, not categorization, but the general bucket if you roughly had to keep people out and that you don't trust people and you've learned they're not going to be there for you, zip up, take care of yourself, be independent, that the cluster of defenses that kind of rotates around that, all the avoidance stuff. Right. We have different types of strategies of avoidance. Just that in of itself is staying distracted, constantly busy, forgetting, you know, the kind of things that says, I can't take in all this information. And so, I'm too busy. I have too much going on. And keeping yourself distracted is one way of avoiding and, and keeping yourself by keeping other things out. And what you're keeping out is a threat that comes with other things, right? If I'm too right, busy. But you're not feeling the threat. It's so confusing. Yeah. So sorry, I forgot. I forgot. Exactly. I forgot. That's a good one. And I don't know if about you, Anne, but as a therapist, I've certainly seen a ton of people, and I've probably done it as a client, truthfully, but where that, you know, they fly into the seat and it's like, okay. It's almost as if I've gone to their door and knocked and interrupted them and then interrupted their day. And I have to like, remember like, wait, you called me, you know, you set the appointment. <laughs> you're, pay- you're paying good money for this time. But there, it is almost like this feeling of I'm intruding right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I know that I'm sure I have done that. But like, that's, that's sort of that flavor because we can get so used to just being on our own that we really do forget why we made the appointment and why we're walking into the therapist's office and we're a little put out because we have to do it and it interrupted our something we were doing. Like we forget, like the, I'm just going back to the word you used, our need. And we forget like, wait, I've hired you to help me with something. And that is a much, that's a harder feeling state to get to from this cluster. Right. And that's part of our reason for it being a defense, because to slow down and go, why am I here? Why do I need you? I've hired you because I want you to help me with either my relationship or myself or, you know, and so for me to slow down and already be prepared for what I need from you when I come in the office could be, we could feel really threatening because then I'd have to acknowledge that I need you. So if I come in too busy and a little distracted, I don't have to like acknowledge a need. Then I have to, then I can ask about you, you know, or so all of that are very, obviously very humanizing, right? We all do all of these things. So, so hear that. There's a way that we do it at different levels, but some of us do it a lot more than others or do different parts of this. So if you find yourself like, I don't need therapy. I don't need to go in. Like, I'm just doing this because somebody asked me, you know, my wife said I need to come in, I roll, and then I'm too busy for it. Then I'm going to give you the impression that I don't really need you and that you're putting me out. Like, this is a burden to me. And so it's so important to kind of recognize part of this whole concept is how do we disarm this? How do we disarm it in ourselves and how do we disarm it when we recognize it, right? If we don't recognize that we're using distraction and forgetting, oh, I forgot the appointment, I keep forgetting the appointment, and we're not recognizing that that's a pattern for us, there's no way to disarm it. So if you stop to think about it when you go in, do you, are you, can you go into your therapist office or can you sit down with your partner and actually literally be present be aware of what's going on, ask for help, not doing the forgetting. What happens when you think about doing that? 
for those of you that kind of are feeling touched by this part or identifying with that part, there are things like think about the therapy session before you go in, like just make your, or think about it between sessions. Think about your close others, your favorite people, like let them occupy some of your internal cognitive space. Like if there was a pie chart, if their piece of the pie of the way that you think about them, the way you hold them in mind, you know, if it's smaller, like maybe theirs is too big and they're, you know, oriented all around you. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But for those of you that are identifying with the avoidance, with the distraction, and again, our whole civilization is set up to distract us from psychological states. Like we have a menu and we are assaulted almost with these ways to distract ourselves from going inside. So anything in that area, your move to disarm is going to be to get more curious, to get more aware, to leave more space, to not know, to not be so certain, to soften. To find curiosity. Exactly, exactly. And curiosity about psychological state, curiosity about your close people's inner life, curiosity about your inner life, curiosity about your history. So in this example, if we could take one of the defenses and kind of really play it out, let's say forget. Forgetting is an interesting defense, right? Because we all do it. I mean, my memory is not, not, not what it used to be. So we all forget, right? And so we can just stop there to say, oh, I'm so sorry, I forgot. So that's a way of us engaging in a defense without self-awareness. And I don't mean every single time you forget, you need to, to do this. But if you tend to be forgetting important things or forgetting what your partner talked about, or there's a lot of forgetting happening, if you don't slow down and think about the use of that forgetting, because instead we use it as an end goal. Sorry, I forgot. Rather than being curious, why is it that I can't seem to remember the really important things that somebody asked of me at the grocery store? there's a good chance that you're allowing distraction and distractibility to be part of the whole process. Like you're not actually present. And part of the defense where we get back to the avoidance, to be present might be more threatening than you think. So we say distracted and we forget because to be present and really take you in is super overwhelming. So instead I stay distracted and then I live in the excuse that I forgot. And then nobody can get mad at me if I forgot. If I forget your birthday or forget to do something, nobody can be mad at me. But you have to like really approach your own defense system of distraction and not actually being present to begin with. So another example in that same vein is humor, which is the same thing. It's yes. like, what? I'm just joking. But a big one, and that I said that we would go back to, is projection. And this is an important one to understand because every single human does this. As a matter of fact, we start out doing it. Like a baby believes that they think they cry and they get fed. There's an early state where there's not even two people. There's just one person and somehow the needs are being met. It's a developmental stage to like orient into you have two others, two selves together. So projection is natural. It's normal. It's fine. But can you think of some examples of projection? Because it's such a fundamental part of what goes on all the time. Right. And projecting what I'm feeling yeah, I, I can personally relate how I use projection. Oh, good. And That's that, juicy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think I might even have mentioned in a, one of our earlier episodes on this, but the projection of people having a need that they don't have. Well, from our conversations, I think, and please don't let me speak for you, even though, of course, I will. But I was thinking that where you were going was that you're projecting into the other person that if you don't do this thing for them, they're going to feel the way you felt when you were young and you weren't getting your needs met. No, that's, that's kind of the example. I was trying to find the sort of the concrete example of when I do that, but that's the underlying source. The underlying source is I'm going to project into people that maybe they're feeling left out or maybe, you know, but I'm going to project into them some experience of difficulty. And it's the feeling that I likely had. And so instead of letting them have and being differentiated, I will project into them and then fall into the caring role of trying to help when I haven't even been asked for that help. Right. So that's a projection. I love you sharing that. Yes. I think that that's really great. And that's, I don't know if you all can feel it, but the, there's just such a vulnerability in really recognizing a projection and then pulling it back inside of ourselves and not projecting. The reason we're projecting is we're projecting something painful. So one of the ways to get, like when we're, again, kind of returning to the disarming idea, one of the things that I struggle with and that what I have to do 
in order to disarm that is to name my own need for it. Like if I'm imagining that somebody is having a need for something, I might jump in and do something for somebody because I the, believe the, they're they having aren't a need asking for, it. for right. Even and they're, they're not, not asking, asking for that. And instead saying, I'm having a need to go get that blanket for you because you look cold. Like I'm having this need rather than I'm going to jump up and get the blanket because I imagine you're cold and I know exactly where the blanket is, right? Like instead, I'm going to have to acknowledge that I want to go do that because I'm going to feel more comfortable. So a lot of disarming of this process as we're talking about is moving it from the more primitive, if I don't even let myself know that I have that need and that tendency to project, then I just think everybody's really ungrateful if they don't receive my care. And what it leads to is controlling. And so part of the disarming that is I have to be aware, I have to bring my unconscious into my conscious awareness that what I experienced and what I might have wanted more of and what I felt when that happened is really in my journey and and me being able to not split that off. And all of a sudden I'm caretaking other people, which is an example that we were speaking of without being aware of my own. That's me acting out of my defense. And I could easily be left and feeling like, oh, I do stuff for people. People don't see it. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we can go in the next step of that. The disarming of that is to be aware of why do I have that need to sort of see the need in the room and take care of it. Yeah, I call that like crossing the gap, like to fill in a space. And I'm glad that you're saying this and just it's just such a sweet but also vulnerable example because it just really does go to this very early place, but that it also that there's an identity that's a built around this. So even if we just explore it a little bit more, like you can see someone that you perceive to be uncomfortable, say. Let's even add stress that you're very comfortable and you're whatever, eating the big ice cream cone that they don't have and they're looking at you, you know? Oh yeah, that would drive and, me crazy. Right, I'm already and getting up and getting my ball. <laughs> is right, and you're going to split it. So like if we just go into that example a little bit, that like your capacity to keep having your own resource and to hold the resource and to keep taking it in and keep enjoying it, the other person, you know, we don't know if maybe they are envious. Maybe they really want a bite of your ice cream. Maybe they're lactose intolerant. We don't know. But I think the point here, though, is that bearing the feeling, because if you didn't know, then it would be easy to say, like, would you like some, you know, or it would be easy to wait or it would be easy to wait for them to ask. Like, that's another right, if, version of disarming. Right. If I'm going to go from an unconscious place is what you're talking about then. And that's what I would do, right? Is I'm already imagining the need, the desire, and that they can't get their own ice cream, right? There's somehow exactly. I'm more functional <laughs> and competent about this ice cream. So if I have this ice cream and I see they don't, it's a great example because on one level, again, I love to point this out because on one level it can seem like, oh, so caring and loving, right? So I'm jumping up and I'm getting, I'm already getting the bowl and sharing my ice cream. Now, stop to think about it. Since I haven't asked, I haven't checked in, I've acted. I've acted. And what I'm acting on in this defense, I'm acting on what's going on inside of me without awareness. And I'm going to get that. And now I feel better because this person's not suffering. Right? They don't have, I mean, ice cream's a silly example, but it's not because I can see it doing it. And so now I'm not dealing with what I would project. And honestly, in this example, I would be projecting the experience when I was younger of seeing some people that I love really struggle and suffer where I couldn't help. That was really, really hard. Now all I had to do is get them and get a ball, right? Man, all of that is solved. So, and it, so it seems like nothing. So it seems like it nothing. It seems like nothing. But let's think about that. Now, like you said, it could be lactose intolerant or it could also be now I've put them in a position that they have a half a bowl of ice cream they didn't ask for. And how rude are they to say, no, thank you. Now, all of a sudden I've imposed my need on them and I feel better, right? Like I'm all, I'm all better, right? But I've imposed my need on them. And so if we take about the disarming the defense, defenses don't always look horrible. They can look overly nice. They can look overly caring. So oh we yeah. We're going to talk about to that really, in the other bucket. <laughs> yes. Well, we're already like, so, so it can be overly caring and it can be in this bucket too, actually. So for in this instance, my bucket would be more the bucket we're about to talk about. But if we stay in the avoidance bucket, let me make this example, okay? So if I'm in the avoidance bucket, I'm going to go split my ice cream because I don't want to deal with that person's complaint. 
Exactly. Right? It's, it's oh, so, I love it. Here, have the damn ice cream. I don't even yeah, want like, an ice cream. Oh my cream God. Anymore. If I don't do that, they're going to feel put out. They're going to feel, oh my God. Of course. And I'm so, you can't get your own ice cream. Like, I'm so competent. Let me get you the ice cream, right? Or I, so I want to keep you from having the complaint. So in my example, I'm keeping myself from feeling that projected need. In the avoidance, I might be more likely to be avoiding me feeling. Do you see what I'm saying? Like it's a different type of avoidance. Right. Put up Right. That's right. It's still a projection. It's still a projection. Now I'm having to deal with your emotions of you're going to be disappointed. You're going to think I'm selfish because I didn't give you the, the, the thing. Like I, in my bucket, I'm not thinking you think I'm selfish. In the avoidance bucket, if I don't give it to you, you're going to have a complaint and you're going to think I'm selfish and I'm just going to avoid that altogether. Because if you have a complaint, I don't want to deal with that. So there's a way of keeping people out by giving them the ice cream or bringing them to in. See, I'm bringing them to in through my, my ice cream thing, but the avoidance is I'm going to keep you out. You can't complain. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's what I was just going to say, like slightly higher level. So what we're talking about again is projection and caretaking. What we're saying is look deeply at the motivation at the intent and so just like Anne said, we can caretake in order to get rid of somebody. Like here, have a Kleenex and clean that up, right? That that's not really caring. It's like move away. Or if somebody wants a donation, you know, you write a, you write a small check and like go, move, move on. Or let me be compliant, even if you don't think they're going to hear complaint so that I feel so better than you or so much better. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the giver because damn well, I need to be the giver because it, it, it fits with my identity to always be the giver. That gets us into the second part of this bucket of the, it's not the avoidance bucket, but it's, it's like when you need to block people out, when you need to block people out. So avoidance and all the stuff that we've talked about. And then there is on that side of things tends to be a power di- that another thing, another move, another defense is related to power. And that's what you just began to talk about was going one up, being the know-it-all, be intellectualization, rationalization, the mansplaining, like all of those things kind of fall in this. It's a defense. And what it does is it serves to keep people out. Like it, it preserves your sense of self-identity. I'm not saying that that's the conscious intent, but the actual intent is then people are like, well, okay then, uh, you know, like they don't come towards you. It does, it's not a connecting move. They might come towards you out of need. They don't come towards you out of intimacy. If I'm always the giver, it's a one down place. And if we think about it, it's also, let's talk about the feelings that you're avoiding inside you. If you tend to have fall on that end that the threat is to keep people out. That is to be in touch with your own needs and to need other people is to feel somehow lesser than or weak. And that's intolerable. So if I'm always in the position of the provider, I'm always in the position, I'm going to give you my ice cream because I'm more competent to getting the ice cream. So I want to use the ice cream as an example. It's a great one because it can, me giving the ice cream could have different types of threats and defenses. And so what we're talking about is not the behavior, it's about the threat. So if the threat is people come too close, I'm not going to be vulnerable because nobody be there for me. I got to take care of myself. I might then over-identify with, but I am so damn confident I can take care of the world. I don't have any needs. The world does. Think what that defense says. I don't have any needs. I'm totally competent and capable. It's the world that I need to help. You're avoiding your own sense of vulnerability inside yourself. So slowing down in that defense and going, why is it that I'm giving the ice cream? I've got to ask because it's it's a different story for me. But if you tend to be the more one-up position, you might be giving the ice cream because the satisfaction of always being the one up, avoid your feeling of what is it like to be equal, level, content with somebody, and really mutual. And if that feels threatening, if you can't take, receive just as much as give, then you're probably struggling with this defense. And so I'm imagining all these uh, listeners that like right now, they're like clipping that part and then they're going to forward it to somebody that they know. Hey, Sue, let's take a quick break to talk about today's sponsors. So one of the sponsors can really change your life or at least spice it up. So as a listener of Therapist Uncensored, you know that we're all about mind-body connection. 
and to help you feel more present in yourself and your relationship. And that includes sexuality and sensuality. So Dipsy can really help you do just that. So Dipsy is an app that is full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories. And they're designed by women for women, which I think makes a lot of difference. They do a great job making the stories come to life. They have immersive soundscapes, really intriguing characters and storylines. So they have new content released every week. So you can discover new things about yourself and what interests you that you might not even know. And this could be just for you individually, or if you happen to have a partner or partners, you can discover things about them too. So maybe you find a favorite story though, or just want to re-listen and really nourish your imagination and sensual side. So for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash TU. That's 30 days of free access when you go to dipsystories.com slash TU. Okay, dipsystories.com slash TU. So I'm excited about our sponsor, ZocDoc. So as a therapist, I know it's really become hard to help people find a therapist or psychiatrist, especially one that's taking new clients. It's a real struggle. And ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. I mentioned therapists, but you can find almost any specialist under the sun, knee doctor, a dentist, and you can often see their schedules and make an appointment all on the app. So that is so cool. And you know, when we're finding a restaurant, we often pour over reviews for just a single meal. And finding a doctor is so much more important. So I love that we get to see actual patient reviews and it helps you find someone that sounds like it's a really good fit for you. So once I discovered ZocDoc, I can now help my daughter who lives in another state find a specialist and it will help me find out whether it's in network and even will tell me what my out-of-pocket costs are. So I love all that. So check it out. I think you're really going to love it. Go to ZocDoc.com slash TU and download the ZocDoc app. It's free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. And many are available within 24 hours. So that's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash T-U. All right, Sue, let's jump back in. So that's really good. So let's move to the other bucket if you're okay with that. Absolutely. So this issue of compliance, complying, we touched on that a little bit with the ice cream, but now let's move it on the other side. So what we, just as a reminder, the other side is the experience when you're young of an insufficient other. It's not that nobody's there and you can't trust anybody. There's somebody there, but you just, you can't rely on them. Like, you know, that secure place is like you're okay on your own and you're okay close with people. This would look more like, I don't quite feel adequate, so I need to grab on. And even when somebody's there, I don't quite let it in because I'm pretty sure they're going to about to leave or something bad's going to happen or the other shoe's going to drop, you know, something like that will happen. So that's an example of internalizing that I'm insufficient. People are going to abandon me. Like you can feel the different of the, if it was a keyboard, it's a different note than the other side of self and keeping people out. It's deficient self and longing to get people closer. That's a great way to say it. And it's, it's longing. That's very hard to feel satiated. So you keep working in this way of keeping people close, right? So I think if we try to divide it into two buckets, we clearly talked about the point of keeping people at a distance, but this part of I need people, if, if I don't have people right there, then I feel alone, abandoned, or judged. So I'm very activated in these activities of how, so that ice cream giving, or if you're the one at home, like if your kid has a need, you have to meet it right then. Maybe part of what that is, is that you can't tolerate the distance that you might have to tolerate by a child feeling unsatisfied. Like if a child feels unsatisfied, that would be so painful to you and you unconscious defense may be that they'll judge you or reject you or not be able to handle that. So there's a way of overcompensating in that way as well. Right. And it related to sort of, again, like an internal state of insufficiency. And the kicker here is on both sides, when these patterns get set up, then they get reinforced. So on this side of things, we would be likely to self-sabotage. So we, we think that we're just trying to get closeness. And so we're scanning 
for signs of approval and for honestly for signs of disapproval that then will really get our attention because we're kind of most often signs of disapproval right yeah we're primed for abandonment which is self-sabotaging because we end up it's like the soap if you squeeze it too hard it slides right out of your hand you know what i mean it's not a holding of the other it is there's there's too much intensity and pressure on that desire to be in proximity and close and almost like a merged feeling state. And so then the care, let's talk about caretaking on that side. So I think that's more what you were describing around that the disavowal of your authority. So this is a, just a different example. It's like, oh, you must know it's the seeding. Remember we talked about that in another episode. It's the tendency to seed the self and to go one down. We've talked about that as well, because that, that is an effort to maintain closeness in a dyad or in a relationship. And again, it's familiar. It's this is what we do is like the other person knows more, their needs are more important, you're going to hand it over. And that's where we get also like the whole super niceness, the compulsive, kind of sickly sweet, like over, over, over niceness, which again, is related to disavowing your own authority, and being able to trust people to let yourself be eh, not that excited, or maybe even disappointed, or you know, this is the last of the ice cream. I've been saving it. No, you can't have it, right? That requires the sense of self and trust in the other person that like, they'll be like, oh, dang, man, you know, they'll be fine. That's a great point. Yeah. You have to trust that they're going to be fine, right? Yeah. Like you have to trust. You, tr- you have to trust fine. other people and that they're going to stay holding on to you. And yet that's, I think, important to remember that this is not an intellectual process. We're not trying to talk you into, oh, just quit doing that, right? This part about disarming these defenses is, is to bring them more into your awareness. And then the next important step is also to be able to have the feelings that go with it. Like you can't skip over that. So if you're seeding, if we think about what the threat is. Can you say what seeding means? Because when I, we did this last time, we never quite said it. What, so, what do you mean by seeding? Yeah, seed? that's right. There's probably... There's probably a hundred definitions. I keep, of this. I keep what, thinking of like a plant seed. So not seed. <laughs> so giving seeding, seeding like with a C. Yes. Yeah, so it's, so it's like instead of holding self, where you have to experience the distance between you and somebody else, that tension of that distance is activating for you in this side of it. And so, rather than deal with that tension, that could mean I'm going to be judged, left, or abandoned. Seeding is a way of sort of giving over of self, right? Like I'm going to seed a point. So it's a way of giving up self. So if I'm happy because you're happy, as long as you're happy, I'm happy. That's an example of seeding. It's certainly one I can relate to. If you're happy, I'm happy. So it isn't what makes me happy. If you're happy, I'm happy. And so if and so then I'm going to be really pissed at you if you're not happy because I need you oh, to be happy. Oh, amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> So don't you love it when I use a real example and Sue loves that? She's like, amen, amen. (laughs) So if you're happy, I'm happy. So think about that dynamic. That is a seeding. That's a seeding of my own needs into somebody else's. So I'm I'm either going to be agreeable or if you think about not being able to say no to your child, maybe you've said no, but you have to tell them why you're saying no because you need them to agree with you. Yeah, you have right? to so talk really them gonna, into it and negotiate. Yeah, yeah let me talk you into why con- I said cajole. no so you agree with me. Because if I say no and you have a negative feeling and I don't try to talk you into not having that negative feeling by agreeing with me, then I have to give myself up. So all of those are really important examples of sort of seeding self. The last time when we talked about seeding is when we were talking about the power over dynamic. And we were saying, so those individuals that have to kind of stay on the power up because it's too scary to feel the vulnerability. In this case, we said we'd come back to the seating. There are those of us that like will stay more in a position this way of seating in order to avoid our own empowerment. Like nobody's going to leave if they're always happy. So if I, if somebody can, can blend in and make you happy, well, then nobody's going to leave or nobody's going to judge you. So the tension, the tension that you have to experience inside your own body for this disarming of this defense is the differentiation of as I differentiate and maybe you're unhappy, I'm going to eat the whole damn ice cream because it's the last one. And I'm sorry, you're going to have to have feelings about it. And I'm going to give you puppy dog eyes and everything. <laughs> yeah, like, oh my, God. my daughter's so good at the puppy dog eyes, right? It works. Used to anyway. So, but by saying, no, I really want this is a really important point. I have to accept my own inner desires and my own greed and all of these things that may have been disavowed 
as a child. It is that part of us that are that wasn't allowed. You know, we're always when we talk about this side, we often talk about that the parent that is inconsistent, maybe because of depression or all these other things. But I also want to identify sometimes if you have parents or caregivers out there who felt too threatened by you having a separate self, right? Like you either need to mirror me. That's right. You need to mirror me because if you separate from me and you don't mirror me and I'm not the greatest thing next to sliced bread, that that I might get angry or I might withdraw, whether it's a parent that suffers with narcissism, lots of different things that can also create this experience. It's not just one thing in our history that can create it. So if you've had to reflect to people in your life that they're okay. And so therefore you can't separate without feeling that they're going to get angry or rejecting or withdraw. Like you need to follow them. Then you don't get to build this part of you that says, are you kidding? I can't stand that. So that's another reason that we will seed because if we don't seed, we may actually literally have gotten rejected and pushed away or, or rageful anger. So there's a good reason we learn to seed. Some other concepts that we've also talked about in the series, this goes back to disarming aggression. I mean, I'm sorry, disarming aggression. That's so funny. Disarming (laughs) defenses. But I was going to say about aggression, aggression is going to be a key and getting aggression right inside of you is a key on both sides. So again, there's a whole episode on this, but this healthy aggression. So you eating the ice cream, you have to be a little aggressive. You have to be comfortable with your aggression and say no. You have to be comfortable with telling the child no and having them upset and feeling. I love how you're talking about this tension, that there's the other person, then there's a gap, and then there's you or me. And being able to hold that tension that we're two different people, we can experience things differently. That's where healthy aggression comes in. And, you know, we have another series called Holding Your Own, and that's about dealing with difficult personalities. So if you even hear in the language, holding your own requires a little muscle. It requires healthy aggression to find this middle space of both connection with yourself and connection with the person across. So just you mentioned passive aggressive earlier. So when we do funky things with aggression, like, you know, we can use it to shut people down and we can also disown it again, like, you know, compartmentalize it, disown it. And then everybody else looks giant and big aggressive. So getting our relationship with aggression, right. Is a really excellent, one of the tools to get out of either that space that you're talking about, Anne, where that it's too hard to have the space in between people. It's like healthy aggression, which includes, I trust the other person to be okay with their feelings. I don't have to jump over and take care of it. And I'm not going to project that you're going to feel like I did when I was a kid, that kind of thing. So I like the idea of putting aggression here at the end around healthy aggression so that you can hold yourself and you can hold your own and healthy aggression in the sense of stopping yourself from shutting people down. Like it's like setting your own boundaries internally of, you know, like, no, Jane, you said that you were going to do this with your wife. So you need to stop what you're doing right now, close the computer. Like that's holding your own too of like, no, you said you were, you know, this is important to her. You, you agreed to it. And then you're going to hold her more in your mind. Like this is going to hurt her if I don't do this. I don't know if aggression exactly is the right word on that. I think it kind of is around like towards yourself, like setting boundaries with yourself. You don't get to just be comfortable pleasure alone all the time when you're in a close relationship that we want to be able to fluidly move back and forth. That's really, really well said. I really like that. And and to tap onto that, I the, the love the idea of aggression, both with other and self, holding yourself in an aggressive way to say, whoa, wait a minute. Why am I feeling like I have to be the knowing one here? Why do I feel like, like that's an aggressive way of holding yourself? And to wrap it back in to, you know, we've talked about the ideas of the, the protective system, right? Sooner often like the focus of, are you in your protective system? Are you in your connective system? And they're two systems. They're they're different ways of accessing your body. So we've been talking in this whole series about our activating our defense system. So as we end this session in the series, let's end it also with how to get into your connective system. That the real goal, the reason we're talking about this is to be aware of these strategies. Hold yourself with aggression, both to stand up for yourself and not cede, or to challenge yourself. And the next question is like, am I in my protective self 
or am I in my connective self? I think that is how I really think we could end the series in a really caring way and to challenge ourselves if we are in, even if we're, sort of, if we're in conflict or we are struggling with our own defenses or maybe we're struggling with our partners or our children's defenses, right? We're starting to have more compassion. We recognize it. And instead of going, look, I see you doing that, not the goal, to go, okay, wait, how am I going to get myself to calm my defensive system down and get more in a secure relating self? Yeah, no, I love ending with this. And I really love that you wrapped it around to this because so we can, yeah, you're going to get good at identifying when people's in, doing their stuff. But part of why we're wanting to help you recognize it is so that you can call on your higher self, your prefrontal cortex, your hippocampus. If you're familiar at all with whole brain living, you know, your character for this connected psychic relational place that, you know, some people call it like a, like it's sacred or it's, you know what I mean? Like this, this feeling of connectedness. That's where I love ending with this. And when we can hold on and keep our mindfulness and our connectedness while we're seeing these things in other people, then that's going to help regulate them. And we don't have to jump in, like you said earlier about acting out. We don't have to act on it because what we can know is like oxygen mask on us first. If we can stay in this connected place, everybody's going to do better. And even if they don't, you're going to do better. So it's so, so true. And, and one of the ways yeah. to ask yourself on either end, if we can wrap on that, if you are the maybe the individual that is that has the self protection is about fearing the abandonment and the rejection and the relationships are so important. So the reminder, if you are activated, is hey, wait. I am okay if there is a space, if there's conflict or if there's distance and to take yourself out of the panic about it, depending on how much, or just a reminder, like I am like to kind of remind yourself. And if you tend to fall on the end where your goal is to keep people out, your tendency may be, you might really quickly to shut out. And remember, we've talked a lot about how that feels really good to be able to cut people off to say, wait, it's my job to warm my own system up. It is not because we often get stuck with, well, you've made me feel this way, so quit doing that so I can come to you. No, it's your job to go, okay, I am in that real blocked place. What do I need to do to warm my system up? And like you said, find the four. How do I warm my system up so that I can come back in a relational way? And it still may be in conflict, but instead of rehearsing all of what is happening and rehearsing it over and over about the unfairness or the injustice or whatever to go, okay, how do I move my body to a more secure way of relating and hold ourselves accountable on either end? Right. And that is the golden ticket right there. And I love how you just summarize that from both sides. So we challenge you around this. We really want you to use this highlight, you know, if this was in writing, you know, highlight, like really study it. We thank you so much for staying with us while we kind of work through and explore this with each other. And if you're still with us and you're still listening, we hope you've gotten value. And so we also ask you to help us out. There's a couple of things you can do that cost nothing, one of which is to just go to your podcast player and give us a rating and review. That's actually really helpful to the show. Another thing that you can do totally free is to share the show with people that you feel like could use it. Word of mouth is the way that shows grow for sure. I wanted to also say you could rate and review us. And if you have something that you want us to hear personally, a suggestion or something like that, you can also just go on SpeakPipe and say, hey, I have this suggestion, you know, and use SpeakPipe as well to give us suggestions. It doesn't like rate and review really, really helps us. Please, please do this. And if you have some ideas that you want to give more directly, don't think yep, twice speak about it. speech pipe. Right. Or Anne at Therapist Uncensored or Sue at Therapist Uncensored. You have direct access to us. So just shoot us a note. And what was I going to say on my last one? Oh, Sorry. supporting our sponsors. And just real quick on that one, that if you support our sponsors, go to their websites, check them out, really take them seriously. We pick sponsors that we think will be beneficial to our audience. And again, 50% of all of anything that we earn is going to mental health access for those who are have been previously left out. We really care about that. And so if you're supporting our sponsors, you can know internally that you're also supporting mental health access. So those are easy. Those are fast. Thank you so much for listening and for staying with us and for hearing this episode. We've got tons more to come. All right. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you around the bend. 
Podcast Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.